Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com. And today I'm super excited to have as my guests Andrew and Sharon. Andrew is a certified surrogate partner who is also on the, um, the board of directors and is an officer on the Inter- International Professional Surrogates Association. And Sharon is a massage therapist and I believe also a yoga teacher. Sometimes, maybe. (laughs) Um, And I'm super excited to hear about um, Andrew's work, their poly relationship, as well as a film that they made. And we're going to talk more about the film because it won a film festival. So first of all, I just want to welcome you both to the show, Andrew and Sharon. I'm so glad you're here. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Sumi. It's good to be here. So good to have you. So I, I'm going to start with the film. I went to the film festival and I saw your amateur short film, your erotic short film, and it was so wonderful and beautiful, and it won the festival. So I was really proud of you guys. And so maybe you could start by talking about how you were inspired to make the film, and um, I'm sure it's a big question, but what's, what's happened since the film won the festival? Okay, so... Um, this started a couple years ago with me and my best friend, Chris, who you'll hear a lot more about. He and I went to see the Hump Film Festival, which is uh, created by Dan Savage. He's a syndicated advice columnist and podcaster, and every year he produces the Hump Film Festival, which is basically amateur filmmakers making adult short films. And we got the idea to create an entry for it. Although we didn't really know what the plot was going to be or or what the theme of it was going to be. Until one day, I was sitting with Sharon, and she said something kind of self-deprecating, like, well, I'm not very adventurous. And whenever she said that, I just uh, started laughing because... I know from my experience of being with her that she is very adventurous. And we have a history between the two of us of, or that she often will say things where she doesn't recognize how amazing she is. And she'll say things like, well, I'm not very sexual or I'm kind of dorky around sexuality. <laughs> and so I got the idea to make a film that would kind of illustrate this difference between the messages that we absorb about ourselves and how those messages sometimes stick around long after we outgrow them and long after how who we are and how we are in the world is different than these ideas. 
That's powerful. Mm. And the title of the film, which is I'm Not Polly But My Boyfriends Are, is one specific Uh example of that because there were times in the past where Sharon had said, well, I'm not Polly, even though she had three lovers or more. So (laughs) you want to say anything, Sharon? Um, Yeah, I think I really got to see the difference between what our culture says about relationships and um, and and sexuality and connecting with people and what all that means and then what it means to figure out what works for me and what works in our relationship and how we relate to um, other people and the world at large. So I got to filter out what uh, what is me and what in the culture is not me. Yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm really glad you said that, I'm sorry, I'm glad you said that, Sharon, because um, so much about my, the way that I do open relationship coaching is telling people that, you know, once we step outside the box of traditional monogamy, the sky's the limit. And really we can define and design our own relationships. There's no relationship police coming to our house saying, you're not doing it right. (laughs) Um, But we internalize these messages and we think we have to follow some script. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Um, But sorry to interrupt you, um, Andrew. Go ahead. I got the idea that this concept of how we have these internalized ideas that sometimes get out of date with respect to who we are. I thought Mm -hmm. that this was universal. And so I thought that the film that we created based on this concept would have universal appeal. And I think I was right because not only was the film accepted into the Hump Film Festival, but it was voted best of show out of the 22 other films that were included. Um, and it won a prize of, of $5,000. Wow, congratulations. Oh, thank you. Now, so, didn't, didn't the show, I, I want you to talk more, but I just want to ask you, um, so you think that the film won because of the universal theme? Um, do you think the fact that you were all, um, I mean, it was a really, really well-done film um, overall, but I also just wanted to ask about uh, the age thing because um, at the very end you ran um, like a script on the screen that, that mentioned the ages of the actors in the film. Do you think that that added to the appeal of it? I think it did. I think there are many reasons why our film struck a chord. And one of them was that it shows, you know, I think our culture tends to desexualize anyone who's not young, healthy, and Mm able-bodied. And I'm really happy that our film was an example of people in the second half of life. The the ages of everyone in it was ranged from 51 to 75. Mm -hmm. And it's a great example of how you can engage in a healthy sexuality all all throughout your life. And I think that was part of it. So I also mm-hmm. think that it, there are a number of reasons why it differed from a typical adult film, one of which it was 
all about female pleasure, and it mm. showed people really enjoying each other and having fun. Some of my favorite scenes are when we're laughing, and it's mm-hmm. just great uh, intimate connections with people who are really comfortable with their bodies and their sexuality. Uh, another part and they is just that happen it, to all be very be- and and all the people who were a little older happen to be very fit and beautiful as well and nice to look at. <laughs> We thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. So the film festival is now touring through 30 different cities as part of the Hump Film Festival. And it recently showed in New York, and there was someone who was visiting from the U.K. who saw the film there, and it just so happens that uh, they run a web magazine in the U.K. called Advantages of Age. The mission of this web magazine is to challenge the media narrative about aging. And so they wrote to the Hump Film Festival, who forwarded the contact information to me, and asked for permission to show this film at an upcoming event in London. Wonderful. So not only um, we were international because the Hum Film Festival showed in um, the United States and Canada, but now our film has gone intercontinental. As of this Saturday, it will be showing at an event called Taboo in London. Yay. That's amazing. Congratulations. (laughs) And so what... What have how has the film affected your um, tell tell us about your triad with Chris, who you describe as your best friend, and uh, also maybe just talk about whether the film has changed your triad at all or has affected it. Um, well, it started out because um, our friend's wife was more comfortable with him being um, sexual with other women. And so that actually um, gave me an opportunity to see how other women also could be so loving and caring um, because I really feel close to her also. And I really checked it Mm -hmm. out with her. And no, that was like, you know... Um, empowering their relationship and um, not having anything to do with, um, you know, what we do together. So that Mm -hmm. actually really taught me a lot about how to be um, a woman. If Andy's with somebody else, it's like it's not going to um, be negative for me, but that that makes Mm -hmm. him happy. And um, so, so actually... My women friends, in many ways, have been my role models on that side. And to not think of, um, you know, connecting with somebody sexually as being um, a detriment to the other relationship, but having it just be part of it. Mm-hmm. And, so Chris's um, wife role modeled that for you initially so that you felt really safe being lovers with Chris because she was such a yes to it? Yes, 
and and also I have another um, lover that has a um, wife, and she's also very um, comfortable, you know, being with me at gatherings, and um, so I also appreciate her empowerment of our relationship together. And, um, you know, we all have dinner together and we all connect. And so she was also very helpful in me looking at that as well and looking at, oh, like I said, you know, the myths in our culture and how we get to create our friendships however we want to. Mm -hmm. And Sharon, before those women role modeled that for you? Did you have a hard time with jealousy or was open relationship difficult for you before that? Yeah, because I never even thought about it. You know, there was the way that I grew up looking at relationship and the messages in movies and songs, um, you know, also have that uh, craziness in it and crazy making. So, um, So I used to go there, whereas I think Mm -hmm. being with other people has also really helped me to see that I'm appreciated not just by Andy, but in some ways by being appreciated by other men that they bring out more um, of my empowerment and my confidence. And not, I think growing up, growing up being Asian, um, I thought I should have been born Caucasian. And so growing up, um, not thinking I was attractive. So I think it mm. helped in many ways. Mm. To make I'll you just, feel beautiful and desirable. Yes. I'll just kind of continue wonderful. on with that theme a little bit. Sometimes when uh-huh. you're with a partner in a long-term relationship and they say complimentary things to you, sometimes you don't really let it in to the full extent. I've been telling Sharon for, you know, years now that she's beautiful and that she's amazing and uh, sexy, and yet there was a point where she didn't really let that in because you're always hearing it from one person. And Mm -hmm. in some way, because they're your partner, they're supposed to do that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because they're with you, they, they think highly of you. But mm-hmm. you might not really own that as a quality in yourself that is truly deserving of appreciation. Whereas mm-hmm. if, if you get this feedback from multiple people, then I think it's likely that you let it in in a deeper way and at a different level. Yes, and I also coach my couples who are in long-term relationships um, that sometimes when the woman lets herself flirt, even if they don't want to have a full open relationship, just allowing flirting creates kind of a juice and an energy because, you know, especially a more mature woman who's maybe postmenopausal often feels desirable again. And, and that motivates us to want to take care of ourselves more and lose some weight and get to the gym or whatever um, because the attention feels so good. Mm-hmm. Feeling attractive can give us juice to bring back to our relationship from a different place. Exactly. And so, Andrew, did you have you ever struggled with jealousy? It sounds like you are so compassionate and understanding about um, Sharon 
not being able to let it in when you give her compliments, but hearing compliments from multiple other people makes her feel it more. And I feel your, um, your compersion around that. Um, and that's such a beautiful thing. Like, have you always been that way or did you have to acquire that? <laughs> I think I learned that in a previous relationship. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's kind of a general theme of something that I'm passionate about. In a previous relationship with an ex of mine, we almost broke up about a year before we actually did. But I'm really committed to not breaking up because of an issue and not just saying, oh, Mm -hmm. forget it, I'm out of here. But instead, Mm -hmm. viewing every challenge as an opportunity and realizing that if there's an issue between us and we don't resolve it, that it's likely that that will show up in future relationships. Mm, Brilliant. We had a similar experience with Sharon and I. Just to fill in a little more background is uh, she and Chris have been lovers for about eight and a half years now. And for the first four years of that time, I wasn't seeing anyone else. So we had a mono-poly relationship where she was mm-hmm. seeing other people and I wasn't. But then mm-hmm. about four years ago, um, then I started, I had an interest in someone else. And that turned out to be fairly challenging for us. It was quite easy for me, for Sharon to have other lovers, but it was challenging for Sharon for me to have other lovers. And it took us right. a while to to work that out. And I think so. And so maybe, Sharon, you can tell me a little bit about what you did to get to the other side of that. Um, Well, what I mentioned about uh, previously is really looking at my training from my culture and then seeing Mm -hmm. um, how that was actually uh, not very helpful. (laughs) And it was actually very destructive Um, and also looking at um, my own self-esteem issues of thinking that um, I wasn't good enough or that he would leave, and now I know that it's not about leaving. It's more about that we have other friends, like Andy plays tennis and I don't, and so um, that's fine that he goes off to play tennis with his tennis friends or racquetball or skiing, and then I go and do other activities with other people. I also got to look at um, that human beings are sexual, and somehow growing up it didn't look that way. So um, even feeling attractions to other people or things like that, that wasn't Um, part of how I viewed the world, which might sound really silly, but I think that um, it was an important part of my own viewing the world differently and then seeing how I fit in there and also seeing how um, our relationship uh, could work differently than whatever the models I had when I was growing up. Right. Well, good for you for doing that growth. Um, so, when, Sharon, when you talked about, I think it was you talking about Andrew's um, 
or your part, your, let's see, you're talking about the wives of your lovers and how you have dinner with them and you're all friends kind of in this extended poly family. Um, so I'm wondering like if Andrew's other lover also is in that poly family or do you guys have an agreement that anyone you guys date needs to kind of lean into the poly family or do you have lovers that are more compartmentalized where they aren't part of the rest of your life? Um, I think I did meet um, another lover of Andy's, and that was uh, more because he wanted me to. But I think, mm-hmm. um, but it's fine. But also it's fine if I'm fine with if I don't meet them also. Like I, you mm-hmm. know, he has good judgment and I have good judgment. And um, so it works both ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think so you're okay with him having... Sorry, go ahead. So I think part of the difference is that for Sharon to open sexually with someone, she really needs to know him very well and be very comfortable. And so most of her lovers are people that we've known for years. Um, um, actually, yeah. And then, and then I think we've... Um, People that I am sexual with, I actually met them all through the Human Awareness Institute. So I feel like mm-hmm. we all have a ground of being and um, and that Andy actually has met all the people that I'm lovers with. And then um, Andy also has lovers from um, that network of friends. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that makes sense that you all have kind of a similar philosophy and understanding and sex positivity. Yes. So so do you have any agreements around your relationships? Um do you do you guys believe in agreements? Um do you do you have that? Well, um we have the agreement to use condoms with other people. Mhm. Yes. Um, but other than that, I don't really think that we do. Now, the big uh, question for me is, like, I'm really committed that, you know, if I love someone, I want them to be all they can be. And I don't want to limit them in any way or limit their autonomy. And I really think that, so, yeah, I don't want to limit my partner so that I can feel safe or so that I can feel secure about myself. And if I find myself wanting to do that, then I really want to look at what is going on inside of me that needs healing so that I won't try to limit her to give, uh, to give me something that I'm not able to provide to myself. Mm-hmm. Right. That's beautiful. Good for you. And so how does Chris fit into that? Do you consider yourselves a triad, or is he just one of Sharon's lovers? I think of him as just a um, a lover that we do other things also, and we do other things that include his family as well. So we do things mm-hmm. all together. And then sometimes, you know, Andy and Chris will do things together that I don't do with him. Mm-hmm. The difference is, 
how often that we see him. We see him more than any of any of our other lovers. I like to say mm-hmm. that uh, Sharon has a partner and a boyfriend and some lovers. Mhm. Right. So Chris is more her boyfriend. I think of it that way. I don't <laughs> okay. know. She's kind of uh, uh, giving a little bit of uh, uh, an uncertain expression to that. So. Oh, okay. So you don't use those labels, Sharon, huh? Um. No, I I I would say that I that he's one of my lovers, and I don't. I guess mm-hmm. because he is married. I don't think of, I think of that, yes, we make love to one another, um, but I also am there to totally support and respect um, his relationship with his wife. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like I have Got to it. have a label about how we are together. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate you answering these questions because I'm digging deeper and <laughs> you're being very transparent, so I appreciate that very much. <laughs> um, and so, I've had a couple regular lovers over time, but probably now I would say I have a couple comets. A couple what? Comets? Are you familiar oh, with that terminology? Yes. Lovers, that, lovers that only come around every so often. Yeah, that's right. People from out of town who come through maybe once a year or so, and it's fun to be with them, but there's no expectation of what will happen beyond that. Mhm. Right. Yeah. And so how has the film affected your relationship at all, positively or negatively? Um, I'm still very close to all the people in that film, and I um, hold everyone, including the other woman in that film, um, very dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. I I think that what has changed as a result of the film deals with the 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 topic of the film itself. You remember how I said that the idea behind the film is that um, that there are kind of outdated ideas. Now, Sharon was the star of the film. It was really funny. Before I made the film, I kept saying to Sharon, I'm going to make you a star. (laughs) And so she still had a lot of these outdated ideas in the making of the film, which is what is the whole premise of it. But after Mm. seeing this film on the big screen several times, and seeing her engaging in activities that uh, contradict those images, I think she started to get a fuller sense of herself as mm. as a beautiful sexual being and started to mm. own that a little more. And I don't want to speak for her, so feel free to jump in, Sharon. I, I would totally agree with that. I think I didn't even know what the word polyamory was. Um, a long time ago, and then um, was embarrassed for a while to own that um, aspect of myself. So in this whole um, process, I feel like I got to um, own a lot of who I am in a more powerful way. 
Wonderful. Yeah, I can imagine that would be powerful for anybody. I was picturing myself, you know, watching a erotic film of myself on a big screen. That would be very powerful. So uh, I could see how that would shift shift your image of yourself. There were actually six and, of us in the film. And uh, there were three of us who were comfortable having our faces shown. But mm-hmm. there were some other people in the film because of their profession, they weren't comfortable with being that out. And so we had to do a lot of different film, filming angles and a lot of editing in order to protect their identity while still showing the rest of us. And so it was kind of tricky to do that, but I think it came out really well. Yeah, obviously, since it won. <laughs> you did a great job of that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And I know uh, I did. And I know that's. Go ahead. I was going to say I did almost all the filming, and all of the editing and production, um, and it took many, many hours. I went from editing down maybe twelve hours of footage down to five minutes. Wow. And have you ever made a film before? Not really. Oh, um, actually, Sharon's a yoga teacher, and I made uh, a film that had a one-hour uh, yoga class of her teaching. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's especially impressive um, since it was your first film of that nature. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's really... So if you're just... Jo- Sorry. Um In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Andrew and Sharon. And we were talking about their film, uh, I'm Not Polly But My Boyfriends Are, which won the best of show for the uh, Hump Festival, which is produced by Dan Savage. And it's been really interesting talking about how the film has affected their relationship and uh, given them new positive images of themselves and their friends. What were you about to say, Andrew? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Oh, okay. All right, well then let's move on. I want to talk a little bit about your work. It's really fascinating. You've been a certified surrogate partner for 17 years. And it, it sounds like you're very active on the professional board. Um, and I want to hear a little bit about your work, how you got into that, what it's like being a surrogate, and also how that affects your relationship with Sharon. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, it's actually only seven years. But uh, a surrogate partner, so for someone who um, needs help in the way they do relationships or intimacy, and hasn't been able to find solutions to that, either from their own life experience or from verbal therapy alone, then sometimes their therapist will refer them to a surrogate partner. And the surrogate partner forms a temporary relationship with the client in order to give them a real-life environment to overcome anxiety, overcome difficulties, and to learn skills and confidence. In this case, it's almost like the therapist is doing couples counseling with 
a couple that was specifically constructed to help one of them work on these issues because they didn't have a partner themselves. It's especially Mm -hmm. useful if someone has a challenge that is often resolved in the context of relationship, yet the issue itself prevents them from finding a supportive partner in which to have that relationship that could help them resolve it. So it's a Mm catch-22 that um, we try to create uh, a safe environment uh, for them to overcome these difficulties with the intention that they can then go forward and form relationships with people of their choosing. Mm-hmm. And so how do you end those kinds of short-term relationships, and don't your clients get really attached to you? Well, it is a temporary relationship, and it's, it ends whenever the goals of the client are reached or based on the mutual agreement. There are three of us in the picture. There's the, the client will have sessions with me, and they'll also have sessions with their therapist, and then I communicate with the therapist by phone. Mm-hmm. Now, so you asked about that ending. It is, um, although it's a temporary relationship, it's still a real relationship, and there are genuine feelings that arise in that. And yet that can be that can be an important part of the healing because sometimes the clients who need this help have never been able to have the type of connections, the type of attachments that they want to have. So feeling open-hearted enough to form an attachment can really be a powerful step in the right direction. Now, mm-hmm. the relationship is going to end someday because it's a temporary relationship just for them to reach their therapeutic goals. And some people say, well, if there's an attachment formed, might that then be painful when the relationship ends? And I always ask, well, have you ever had a relationship that ended? Well, it, <laughs> uh, it made There's grieving and sadness that will happen at the end of a relationship But knowing that that can be handled and survived is an important part of the therapy also. I like to say Mm -hmm. that surrogate partner therapy gives us a chance to get experience with every part of the life cycle of relationships, including the ending. Mm -hmm. And so the ending is not the end of the relationship. It's an important part of the work because we want the client to know that the ending of a relationship can be survived and that we can take the what we've learned and the better person that we've become and take that forward into future relationships, knowing that relationships can be ended with respect and gratitude. I think well, culturally I think everybody to, everybody needs everybody needs a surrogate partner to learn how to end relationships. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say that um I think that if people in the larger culture would, quote, break up the way we do in surrogate partner therapy, the uh, the world would be a much better place. Because I think we right. tend to believe that if a relationship is going to end, that it has to be because of one partner being wrong. Either I make my partner wrong and blame them, or I make myself wrong 
and blame myself. And yet I think we all need to know that that doesn't have to be the case. Right. Thank you. Well, I love the way you described that. That's just beautiful. Um, And so how, maybe Sharon, you can tell me a little bit about how um, you make space for his work. Okay. Um, Well, I have been a healing body worker, um, not working on sexual issues. Well, sometimes if somebody, you know, has trauma that they talk about um, and it is in their body, of course I work emotionally that way. But I do um, structural body work to improve people's posture or if they have, you know, specific areas. I love the problem solving of helping um, a frozen shoulder be freer or a lower back be more flexible or improving people's posture. So I understand that, you know, I form a relationship that allows people to heal. So Andrew also does the same thing. So I really see that as um, different modalities to work with different issues that people have. So I see that his Mm -hmm. work is very empowering and healing to the people that he works with. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And Andrew, do you only work with female clients? We have for the most part. Um, I did have one Mm -hmm. male client, um, but this was in the case where a man wanted coaching uh he well he wasn't really interested in exploring eroticism and relationship building and if he were i would have referred him to one of my colleagues um because it wouldn't be fair for him to work with me so mm-hmm. i want to give a little uh more background um mm-hmm. most people when they're dating they try to put forward a positive image and they try to hide what they think the other person won't like. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was first with Sharon, I took the opposite approach. Is On our first mm-hmm. date, I shared with her everything I thought that she wouldn't like about me, including wow. my intention to become a surrogate. Mm-hmm. And, and so even though I told her of this, I thought she would run away, but instead she started telling me all the reasons why she thought I would be good at it. And we've mm. been together ever since. Eleven wow, years. that's beautiful. Mm. Wonderful. And so for um, for seven of those years, I've been working as a surrogate, and she's been very supportive, as you can hear, because she knows the healing value of the work. Um, and also the fact that there are very clearly defined boundaries between me and my clients. It became a bit more of a challenge whenever I had a personal interest in someone outside of work because mm-hmm. this is someone who I was interested in and who didn't have those clear boundaries of a temporary relationship. It was more open-ended, mm-hmm. and that turned mm-hmm. out to be more of a challenge uh, in our relationship. Right. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so the reason why I asked you if your um, most of your clients were women it was because I was wondering if you could give me one or two examples of, you talked about goals, that your clients have certain therapeutic goals they want to reach. So can you give me an example of what the, one of those goals might be and um, maybe talk about how you resolved that? 
Uh, certainly. One uh, client I'm thinking of had a situation where she wasn't very authentic in her, in any of her relationships. She had the idea that if she was to be around other people, she had it to be joyful and the life of the party. That meant that if she ever wasn't feeling that way, if she was sad or angry or depressed, then she would isolate. And her friends mm -hmm. noticed that she would just drop off the face of the earth and not return their calls for months at a time. Mm -hmm. So she had the idea that she wouldn't be accepted, that, that people wouldn't care for her if she didn't maintain this image. So throughout the course of the therapy, then we, uh, it was basically an opportunity for her to be authentic and to show the parts of herself that she would normally hide and to see the results and to allow other – because ultimately if you don't show people who you are, you'll always be insecure because you don't know if they like you for who you are or for the image that you're showing them. Mm-hmm. Right, and that that parallels what you talked about, how you started your relationship with Sharon by telling her all of the things that she might not like about you and kind of get that out of the way <laughs> so you weren't leading her on for months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if we're going to – if the other person's going to um, leave us because of something about us, I'd rather find that out as early as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that reminded me of a man I dated many years ago. And on one of our first dates, we did this activity where we, we said, um, something I'm afraid for you to know about me is, and we'd fill in the blank, and then the other person would say the same, answer the same question, and we just went back and forth. And, and that was such a beautiful exercise to get to know each other. So um, what are some of the other challenges that you've experienced um, in your open relationship, and um, how did you handle them? Okay, well, probably another challenge that we encountered was whenever I first developed an interest in someone, I came back to Sharon and asked her if she was okay with me pursuing this attraction. And mm -hmm. she said yes, but then whenever I went ahead and acted on that permission, then she found it to be more difficult than she expected. Mm -hmm. And I also think that uh, she later told me that she was actually a no right from the beginning, but didn't feel comfortable saying no. Mm -hmm. uh, so a large part of the growth that we did around this was to uh, really be comfortable saying no. Uh, in fact, that reminds me, I, was, I just got back from, uh, I was in Las Vegas over the weekend presenting at the 50th anniversary ASECT conference. Uh, ASECT stands mm. for the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And I presented at this conference, and the title of my, uh, my presentation was How Surrogate Partners Teach Consent and Boundaries. Mm. And so it was very well received, and it came out of my professional experience as well as uh, our experience 
with this situation where um, Sharon basically wasn't uh, forthcoming about what was really going on for her at that stage. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yes, I've had that experience, Sharon, where I try to be more evolved than I am. <laughs> and it's challenging to accept where we are in our growth and to allow that to be okay. Um, so I, I totally feel you on that topic. Yeah, and learning to um, feel all of it, feel both the cultural pressures in all different directions, and then to really look inside my heart and see what is real and what's not real and what are really old beliefs that um, I could let go of over time. And sometimes, it, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like immediate, but it took me um, the a process of time to gradually change and accept and um, appreciate the opportunity mm-hmm. for growth. Right. And, and uh, Andrew, if Sharon had said no, I don't feel safe with you pursuing that um, romantic attraction at this time. Um, would you have just said okay, or what would you have done if she had just said no right away? I would have uh, said okay and, and not pursued it. Mm-hmm. And then what if you're in a relationship already and you're, you're already involved with somebody and for, you know, a few months or years or whatever. And the other person says that they're feeling uncomfortable with that relationship. Um, Do you have what polyamorous people often talk about as veto, veto power over each other or how would you handle that situation? Well, I can say how I did handle it because that's, kind of what happened. Oh, okay. and, Yeah, because when Sharon gave me permission, I went ahead and began a relationship with someone else. And then mm-hmm. when it turned out that it wasn't working for Sharon, then I attempted to adjust my boundaries um, with the, the the other person. And it ended up that both of them were very angry and upset with me. And and this is my issue, is that I've always kind of been a people pleaser and a peacemaker, and I just wanted to get to a point where everyone would be okay. Kind of, why can't we all get along? And <laughs> I even noticed the tendency in myself to do whatever I can so that um, – that these two women won't be upset with me. And mm-hmm. and yet this was kind of an opportunity because I was in a situation where I started to see that there was nothing I could do to have everyone get along. Um, and, uh, and that was very gr- painful and also very growthful because I kind of started to let go of that needing to take care of everyone else emotionally part of myself. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. ultimately, um, as I said before, I don't want to break up because of an issue. And so I was really committed to working it out. At one point, Sharon was afraid we were going to break up. And I said, 
But if we don't resolve it now, this sort of thing may show up in future relationships. And I don't want to wait another eight years for another opportunity. I want to deal with it now. And eventually we did resolve it, and then we got to a point where we no longer wanted uh, to break up, and we were ha- happy being together. And, yeah, mm-hmm. and like and, I really had the opportunity to look at um, just a lot of myths that are out there that I didn't have to um, own as my own way of viewing the world. Mm-hmm. Right, you can create your own myths. <laughs> right, Ted, and and that right. Um, Andy being interested in somebody else doesn't mean he's going to leave me. Whereas I always thought that, you know, that meant oh, that's the end of me, and that's what happened um, at at that point in you know my own thinking. Whereas it's like oh no, that you know that doesn't have to be the way that it is, that we can have other friends and other uh, lovers and we still are together. Whereas I thought that having an open relationship means that we can, we're more likely to stay together. Right. That's just exactly what I was about to say. Great minds think alike. (laughs) That when, when you accept your partner's full being and full expression, you feel even more loved and more wanting to stay in the relationship. Yes. And and that's just kind of a a reframe that we have to do for those of us that practice open relationships because our programming is so opposite of that. Yes. Mhm. Another great thing that I learned um from being with Chris and Sharon is often like whenever we were having our challenging time, often I would be skiing with Chris and I would be talking with Chris about my relationship with Sharon. Um, Sometimes we would have lunch together when he comes over, all three of us. And one time Chris noticed something about the way Sharon and I were communicating, which was transformative in our relationship. See, Mm -hmm. I tend to be very direct and communicate very directly. On the other hand, uh, Chris and Sharon communicate in a similar way. They both learned when they were young that it wasn't safe to be direct. So they tend to have all these ways of communicating very indirectly. Mm. And because Sharon communicates indirectly, sometimes she will think that I'm communicating indirectly too when that's not the case. The specific example I'm thinking of is that one time the three of us were having lunch together and I just was so grateful for the way the three of us had become a family. And I expressed with tears in my eyes that that's what I was hoping to bring someone else into our family as well. Now, when I said this, I looked over to Sharon and she had her arms crossed over her chest and she was looking uh, uncomfortable or angry. And I asked her what was going on. And with Chris's help, we were able to see that she thought what I had said was an indirect request. And so she was responding to that request, whereas I just viewed it as 
um, sharing my experience of something I had hoped, and the tears in my eyes were part of the grieving process of letting that go. And it's really great that because Chris communicates in a way very similar to Sharon, that he was able to help us uh, get through this and understand each other better. And I think that's another benefit of having um, other people who we're intimately connected with in our lives. Yes, I think that's awesome because the, the, I'm not a big fan of the nuclear family model because it just keeps people isolated in in a, a dyad and the children end up suffering. So sometimes it helps to have people on the outside of the relationship who can see the dynamic and name things for you. Yes. Um, I, I want to ask you before we run out of time, Andrew, so when you said that you were grieving, the tears were part of the grieving, are you referring to a relationship that you had to let go of um, because it didn't work for you and Sharon? Yes, I was. That uh, initial relationship where I was interested in someone else and Sharon mm-hmm. at first said yes, but then it, it it didn't work for her later on, then that mm-hmm. relationship ended. And I think it was quite painful for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like you kind of do have an agreement then that um, if if one of you is not comfortable with another relationship that you will end it. W- would would you say that you have that as an agreement? Or was um, that no. just a, one a particular isolated case where it just didn't work out? I think that my whole... Um, view of relationship has changed so that whoever Andy is connected to, just like I will connect with people in the world that he might never know and he connects with people that I may never know and that's fine with me. It's that our spheres of um, how we connect deeply and intimately with people um, can be different and that's fine. It doesn't impact, um, you know, the relationship that I have with Andy. That's how mm-hmm. I view it now. Whereas before, um, you know, I just had these cultural models that, um, you know, ran me before I, you know, it was like I I didn't even know my own thinking. It was more like I just had certain reactions and they were cultural, so they look like they were validated to think that way. And now I see that um, I don't have to, you know, be uh, threatened by somebody else, but just enjoy and that Andy can enjoy other people's company, and it doesn't mean that he likes me less or anything. Right, so you might have a different reaction now if he were to pursue a similar kind of relationship. Yes. And we've Great. proven that, really that was the, the first experience where I was seeing um, someone else, and it was a learning experience for us. And now we're in a very different place. And now I do see uh, other people, and Sharon's very supportive and fine with it. Wonderful. Well, congratulations, you guys. You've grown a lot. Um, So we only have about three minutes left, and I want to give you time, Andy, to Andrew, to tell us 
Um, anything you want to tell us about how they get in touch with you, your film, your surrogate work, whatever you want to say, the, the, the platform is yours for the next three minutes. <laughs> okay, uh, so my film, I'm Not Polly But My Boyfriends Are, is currently touring the country with the Hump Film Festival and has upcoming showings in Sacramento, California, Brooklyn, New York, as well as a bunch of other places. See humpfilmfest.com for more information. And um, my personal information can be found on my website, surrogatepartner.us, surrogatepartner.us. And so that has all my contact information there. Great. Anything else you'd like to say? Let's see. Sharon's shaking her head no. Yes, thank you, Timothy. <laughs> yes, it was delightful to have you on the show. You guys are an inspiration, and I loved your film, and I hope more people will see it. And um, I just wish you the best of luck with it and, and with your triad and your relationship and Lots of love to you guys. <laughs> Lots of love to you, too. Thank you. We we okay. hope to do another film for next year's Hump Film Festival, but we're still uncertain about what that's going to look like. Oh, okay. Fabulous. All right. Great. Well, thanks again, you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. 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 Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.